Psychological health is a major concern within the population of individuals with amputation with the prevalence of depression and depressive symptoms reportedly as high as 28%. Mental health issues are much more common in individuals with amputation than in the general population, but there is currently a paucity of research in this area. While microprocessor control knees have been shown to improve gait biomechanics and reduce the frequency of falls, evidence of their influence on psychosocial health is limited. Hi everyone, I'd like to welcome you to episode 17 of ONP Research Insights presented by the American Academy of Orthodox and Prosthetics. I'm Dr. Steve Gard, Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Prosthetics and Orthotics. My guest today is Ms. Laura Murray, who's a teaching fellow in biomedical engineering at the University of Strathclyde in Glasgow, Scotland. And in fact, I believe Ms. Murray is our first international guest on this podcast. Ms. Murray graduated from the University of Strathclyde with a Bachelor's of Science degree with honors in prosthetics and orthotics in 2005. Following her graduation, she was employed in National Health Service clinics as a CPO working with both prosthetic and orthotic users, which allowed her to treat a number of patients and work closely with other multidisciplinary team specialists. This experience included veteran care, stroke rehabilitation, and pediatric clinics. Ms. Murray's main areas of interest at this time were socket comfort and improved outcomes for prosthetic users, particularly regarding access to advances in technology and the evidence to support this. In 2017, she accepted a role as a teaching fellow at the University of Strathclyde within the Biomedical Engineering Department where she teaches lower limb prosthetic biomechanics and clinical skills and delivery of distance learning programs such as advanced prosthetic science and clinical governance. Ms. Murray is also responsible for supervising master's and PhD students. During her time as a teaching fellow, Ms. Murray has completed the postgraduate diploma in teaching, learning, and assessment and the subsequent fellowship of the Higher Education Academy accreditation. Her current research focuses on activity monitoring, shape capture techniques in socket design, and outcomes in lower limb prosthetic users. Ms. Murray is presented at International Society for Prosthetics and Orthotics Conferences, including instructional courses, and is a reviewer for a number of different journals. Today, we will be discussing a recent article that Ms. Murray published in JPO entitled, a retrospective review of psychosocial outcomes after microprocessor need prescription. Welcome to the podcast, Laura. Hi, Dr. Gard. Thanks very much for having me. I hadn't I realized I was your first international guest, so that's something nice. And I have been enjoying listening to the podcast, despite the fact that I'm in Scotland. Well, I'm pleased to hear that we have an international audience as well. So I'm pleased to have you here today. And I've read a number of different articles involving biomechanics as gait associated with microprocessing control knees, but this was the first study I've read concerning psychosocial issues. So why does this particular topic interest you? Well, I mean, as I said, sort of in my the, the bio at the start, I think when I had been in clinical practice, one of my priorities was always evidence-based practice. And I think in comparison to other allied health professionals, we haven't got quite the same volume of research. Microprocessor needs do have a number of well-documented outcomes, 
But I think when you anecdotally think about the things that patients report to you, they don't always talk about the reduction in falls and some of those biomechanical changes. They tell you that they just feel better. So I think from my point of view, I really wanted to delve into that a little bit more. The work that Neryl and Ramstrand and her group have done about cortical brain activity and that reduced cognitive burden that comes from microprocessor knees, I think that really interested me and sort of highlighted some of those other issues. And I think that secondly, which is probably something that your your regular listeners are maybe not aware of, in the United Kingdom, the National Health Service is who supplies artificial limbs. So for amputees, they're entitled to a free prosthetic prescription. And this means that they are only allowed certain numbers of components. However, in 2016, the government put into place a microprocessor knee commissioning policy. This meant this technology was much more accessible to a number of transfemoral prosthetic users. And this funding wasn't automatic. The prosthetic users had to fulfill a certain criteria to be eligible for this. This then required the clinicians to also record a number of outcomes for their users on a scale which we probably haven't done consistently before to evidence that the prescription change did make a positive improvement. And that really has created an opportunity to review some of these outcomes. Very nice. So what was the motivation for this study? So one of my co-authors, Fraser Dunlop, he had actually been on a clinical placement in a prosthetic department that had been collecting uh, data for service users. He had been part of that collection process. And we had had a conversation really around the volume of outcomes that they had been consistently recording for their patient cohort and the potential to really dive into some of the additional benefits from microprocessor knees for this group. So this was a service where they prescribed a number of different microprocessor knees, but they had a large cohort of prosthetic users who used an Orion knee with an echelon hydraulic ankle. So this was outcomes with a different MPK to those that really had been published previously. So for me, the diversity of the outcomes was something to look at, but also the fact that this was with a slightly different knee joint to that that had been used elsewhere. So what was the purpose of your study, Laura? The initial purpose of the study really aims to consider some of the most common outcome measures that were recorded when assessing MPKs and think about these in respect to a different MPK. So obviously what we widely see is, is people recording timed walk tests and rec records of trips and falls and stumbles. So we wanted to look at those and then these other outcome measures. So the users whose results we analysed were those that had been specifically provided with an Orion knee. So we had gathered trips and falls records, walking speeds from the other studies, and then had really compared that to the componentry that we had in this study. And then secondly, as I said, it was to look at that wider suite of outcome measures and what potential benefits were recorded post-intervention. So did you have any hypotheses or expectations in terms of the outcomes? At the start, we had two main hypotheses. These were really quite broad. We had so much data, to be honest, that it became difficult really to decide which bits to focus on. So the first hypothesis that we had was that there would be an improvement across all outcome measures following microprocessor knee provision. Um, this was for us the initial aim, given that it was with a different microprocessor knee and that we had results for comparison from those other studies. And secondly, we wanted to explore whether improved physical ability 
actually directly correlated to improved psychosocial health. And this was something that hadn't previously been explored. So what were the inclusion exclusion criteria for your research participants? So for this particular study, some of the criteria were determined by that microprocessor knee commissioning policy, but we had then also tailored this to meet our needs. So the inclusion criteria were that the participants had to be a knee disarticulation or a transfemoral level amputation, that they would be classed as a Medicare functional classification system level of K3, that they had adequate strength and balance to use a free knee and to walk more than 50 yards on level ground, and that they had a socket comfort score of seven or more with their existing prosthesis, and they had made a commitment to take part in rehab. The socket comfort score was particularly important because as part of the project, we duplicated the existing socket to try to reduce some of the variables with the new prescription so that we knew it was definitely the componentry change that was providing the result. The exclusion criteria were the participants who had challenges with cognition, which in itself might lead to issues with operation of the knee joint or charging of the knee joint, and then limitations due to build height or patient weight, etc., being too high for the componentry. And so would you please describe the protocol for your study? So first of all, the users who met that basic inclusion criteria took part in a multidisciplinary team assessment. Once we had decided they were accepted into the trial, they had a duplicate socket made at that point. So we duplicated their existing prosthesis and then they were provided with a diary. So in the diary, they were asked to record uh, sort of trips and falls for the four week periods up until their appointment. Then at the four week appointment, we did a number of outcomes with their existing prosthesis. And the duplicate socket was then fitted and aligned to the manufacturer's guidelines by a certified prosthetist with that change of prescription to the knee and to the foot. During the first weeks of MPK use, the users attended one session per week of targeted physiotherapy for gait training with that microprocessor device. And prosthetic users being considered for that MPK procedure are made aware that as part of the process, they need to complete this physiotherapy and those outcome measures. And then during the initial four-week acclimation period, the participants were asked to continue with that trips and falls diary and returned at the four-week time point to complete their first set of outcome measures with the microprocessor main prosthesis. And then they returned again six months post-MPK provision to complete the same outcome measures again. And additionally, they had had four weeks of recording trips and falls up until that point. Very nice. So how did you go about collecting data? What outcome measures were you interested in? So all the outcomes were completed as described in the published protocol and were all completed by a qualified physiotherapist or prosthetist. The data was collected with the existing mechanical knee and then four weeks MPK delivery and again at six months post MPK delivery. At each of these time points, all the outcomes were measured. So the physical performance measures were the timed up and go test those self-reported trips and falls diary covering the four weeks prior to each appointment, the two-minute walk test and the six-minute walk test, and then the sort of psychosocial outcomes were completed within the department, but free from any intervention from staff. And these included the patient health questionnaire, the reintegration to normal living index, and the prosthesis evaluation questionnaire. And those ones were all reported within the paper. The other one which we recorded, which wasn't reported in the paper, 
with the general anxiety disorder, the GAD7, and I'll touch on those as we go through into the results. We made the decision not to include those results in the paper itself because actually the outcome was very similar to that of the PHQ-9, so we didn't feel it, it added benefit in that respect. And how many research participants did you end up enrolling in this study? So the original data set we had had about 40 different participants in it. Some of those were hip disarticulation and some of them had some outcomes missing. So by the time we'd gone through, the final number we included was 26. Of this, 25 were transfemoral level amputees with one knee disarticulation. We had 22 male participants and four female participants. So I think that's probably a point to comment on. You know, generally speaking, the ratio is about 70% male to 30% female across the board in terms of amputation rates. So our rate was about 15% female. So I think that's something else to consider that additional female participants would, would have been favourable. The etiology of amputation was in the main traumatic. So 20 of the 26 participants were traumatic amputation. Obviously, we already know the most common amputation etiology in the UK is vascular. We only had one vascular participant, so probably something else to think about. And the average age of the participants was 55. The cohort in the main was very similar to the cohorts which had been used in previous microprocessor knee studies, so we were quite happy that these were compatible with other research. Something that really stood out to me was that the average time since amputation in your group of participants was 29.5 years and ranged from 8 to 55 years. So these were not relatively new prosthesis users, correct? That is correct. And I think, that, as you say, that's one of the most interesting things about the cohort is, is that they were really well-established prosthetic users. I think in part that was due to the fact that, as I said previously, the NHS wouldn't have provided microprocessor knees. So this policy, when it got put into place, you know, every prosthetic service really was trying to give people who they felt were appropriate the opportunity to try this technology because we do know that there are a number of benefits to that. So obviously this group, they were so well established and that we would have assumed that they were really well adapted to life as a prosthetic user, you know, with a, a minimum prosthetic experience of eight years. We weren't expecting to see some of the outcomes and some of the psychosocial changes that we saw in response to the intervention. So let's really get into the outcomes now. What were the primary findings of your investigation? So the primary findings with the physical outcome measures were that we saw a statistically significant reduction in falls between the non-microprocessor knee and the microprocessor knee between both time points. This was that 17 of the participants reported falling with the non-microprocessor knee, but only one participant fell having been prescribed with the microprocessor knee. So 25 participants didn't fall at all in that six-month period um, while using a microprocessor. So first of all, I think that was the thing that we probably expected. So that was a good result. And we know that there's a big cost burden associated with falling. And so that was a really good outcome from that perspective. There were statistically significant differences in the timed up and go test and the two and the six minute walk test from baseline, but not between the two time points after provision of the microprocessor. So no difference, uh, no statistically significant difference between the four weeks and the six months. But when we consider what's really a clinically meaningful difference and what's just statistically 
meaningful, then actually we wouldn't have said that that was a, a clinically meaningful change in terms of the difference in the distance that they covered when walking. Then in terms of the psychosocial outcomes, firstly, for the patient health questionnaire, there was a significant decrease in the depression scores between the non-microprocessor knee and the microprocessor knee at both time points, but not much difference between the two microprocessor knee time points. Of note, there were five participants who would have been classed with a major depressive disorder, so that's a score of more than 10, and four of those were below 10 after four weeks, and only one remained above. While we didn't report it in the paper, there was a reduction in the depressive symptoms was also supported by the GAD-7, so the Generalized Anxiety Disorder Questionnaire. So this questionnaire has seven questions with a total score of 21. A score of five or more is mild anxiety, 10 is moderate, and 15 is severe. So in our cohort, we found that two patients scored above 10 at baseline and two above 15. So those two participants who scored above 15 would have been a red flag in clinical care. And following microprocessor knee provision, none of the participants scored above 10. And interestingly, the results didn't then relapse at the six-month time point and the improved scores were maintained. So it wasn't just that initial sort of increase or buoyancy because there had been a change that was maintained longer term. And then when looking at the reintegration to normal living index, Significant improvement again was seen between the non-microprocessor knee and the microprocessor knee at both time points, but not a significant difference between the microprocessor knee time points. But that said, the scores were actually higher six months after delivery of the microprocessor knee with an average score at that point of, of 92.7%. Significant improvements were also found in all the subsets of the PEQ between the non-microprocessor knee and the microprocessor. And this was also interesting given that the socket and the limb suspension had remained unchanged, so the results were truly from the components themselves. So some of the items regarding residual limb health, etc., were again necessarily things that we would have anticipated that there would have been an improvement in. Well, I found your uh, your outcomes to be very fascinating and intriguing. And again, because psychosocial issues simply haven't been taken into account by componentry. Nice job. So were your hypotheses supported or refuted by these findings? Well, our two hypotheses were that there would be an improvement across all outcomes between non-microprocessor knee and microprocessor knees, and that was found to be true. There were statistically significant improvements across all of the outcomes. However, in the time walk tests, as I said, this didn't align with the minimal detectable change to make this clinically significant. That wasn't particularly surprising, given that it was such a well-established cohort. It's likely that a ceiling effect was observed here with the patients, and they had already achieved their most comfortable walking speed during their many years of prosthetic use. The second hypothesis was that the psychosocial health improvements would be found with improved physical ability. And that part definitely needs further investigation because we didn't see big improvements in the physical outcome measures and therefore there wasn't a clear link here. Probably had we had a newer cohort of amputees, then we may well have seen a different result there. But with what we had, that wasn't something that we could prove. Well, I'd like to dig a little bit deeper here, Laura. I'm curious to know your thoughts about how and why microprocessor knees may reduce depression-like symptoms and improve the feeling of a user's reintegration into normal life. So do you have any ideas about the specific features of microprocessor knees 
that may produce these effects? Well, I think firstly, when we look at the RNLI itself, the test has excellent correlation between quality of life measure and psychological well-being. So in the RNLI, a 7% change would be acknowledged as clinically meaningful. This means with a mean score within non-microprocessor knee was around 80%. All of our participants, the lowest score reported at baseline was actually 14.5%, which improved to 69% at a six-month follow-up post-MPK provision. But with a cohort average of 92.7% six months after delivery, so if we think about that 7% being meaningful, then obviously, you know, we've really gone well beyond that. And I think that personally, probably the safety element is one of the key features because, again, you know, thinking about that reduced cognitive burden, we're allowing people to allocate more of their conscious thought process to people around them. This in turn enables them to increase their participation in hobbies with increased confidence and with the increased functionality that the MPKs offer, you know, it makes things much more accessible to them. So rather than always being in the periphery of a conversation, you're sort of truly a part of the conversation and feel uh, less reliant on others. I mean, obviously that's just kind of my view on it. As I said, when you discuss it with prosthetic users, I think they kind of allude to some of those factors because they, as I said, they talk about things being easy and I don't think they can always quantify what easy means, but things being easier is obviously something that we want to achieve. So were there any unanticipated surprises in the results? And if so, can you explain them? So I think one of the most important findings were that the results were still significant at the six months time point. We had considered that the input of physiotherapy might have positively influenced the results during the that first four week period, because obviously they were engaged with rehabilitation, they were accessing uh, the service. And so we thought that that might did not have borne out across the longer time point, but that wasn't found to be true. And then for the point regarding psychosocial health outcomes and physical ability, there are still a couple of unanswered questions there. So the cohort for the study were all established prosthetic users and therefore unlikely to change walking speed, but they still reported significant improvements in the RNLI, the PEQ, the PHQ and the GAD. And I think from our point of view, as I said, that we didn't expect to see such an improvement across all of those outcome measures at that six month time point. So did you encounter any notable problems in the course of your study? And if so, what would you have done differently? I think the biggest factor with every prosthetic and orthotic study is always trying to recruit enough participants, isn't it? You know, in an ideal world, we would love to be that year with 500 participants who were 50% male and 50% female and who had a number of different MPKs, but that wasn't the case. So I think having a bigger cohort would have been ideal. And then probably being able to isolate, as I said, the different microprocessor needs that were used. So had we had a number of different microprocessor needs, and also had we been able to isolate whether it was the intervention of the microprocessor knee alone, or whether it was the combination with the hydraulic ankle, you know, it's difficult to decide whether one has influenced the other or whether each is just as important. So I think had we been able to do that, that would have been useful. And the other point I would have said is that the RNLI scores 
it was a total. It wasn't maintained within those subscales. And I think it would have been great to be able to analyze the data within the subscales for that, just to see whether one section, the improvement was more significant than others. So what are the main clinical takeaways of your study? I think the biggest clinical takeaway has got to be that those kind of initial thoughts that we all have about reducing trips and falls with a micro-postester knee are maybe just one of the many benefits in terms of quality of life improvements that we can make for our amputee cohort. And I think this study was with a well-established group of prosthetic users who were still reporting significant improvements in their integration. So with our focus being on improving people's lives, this adds to that sort of growing evidence base to support microprocessor knee provision. So for people who are listening, who may be interested in kind of getting involved in this type of research, do you have any recommendations for future research directions based on your study? I think perhaps some of the things I've touched on already. So using different knees to see if the results are the same. Longer term follow-ups, so being able to follow the same group of users at 12 months or at 24 months to see if those higher levels of output are maintained. And then I think also we need to just do more work in general and trying to understand some of the psychosocial implications of prosthesis use and the component impacts of that and how we can make people's lives better, make them feel more integrated and try to reduce some of those depressive factors. So I just touched on at the start, you know, sort of 28% of people with amputation are reported to have depression. And that's a figure that really we could try to do some work on. And finally, I'd like to conclude every uh, discussion with this question. Would you like to acknowledge any funding that you received to conduct this study? So we didn't receive any funding to conduct the research. This was completed with the time commitment from the authors. And on that note, I really would like to acknowledge my co-authors, in particular Fraser Dunlop and the prosthetic department within the hospital in the UK who provided us with access to their patient cohort and to their patient data. And then really also just the general great work that's been done across services with service provision and the aim to try to so, you know, publish more data from the stuff that's being recorded. Well, very nice work, Laura. Thank you for uh, coming on our podcast and discussing this work with us today. So we've come to the end of our podcast. So I'd like to thank Ms. Murray for sharing her insights and discussing her research with us. I'd like to remind everyone that if you would like additional information on this project, you can access the full article about this study in the Journal of Prosthetics and Orthotics. Thank you again for joining us for this episode of ONP Research Insights presented by the American Academy of Orthodox and Prosthetics. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Please plan to join us again next month for the Academy's ONP Research Insights podcast when we'll be hosting another author and discussing their recent JPO article. And don't forget to check out the Academy's other podcasts for ONP professionals. ONP Clinical Insiders, a podcast created for conversations on specific areas of clinical care, and ONP Rising, a podcast created for emerging professionals in our industry.